is toying with him now. Hey, Caitlin. Chris, what's up? So we have a guest today. We have a guest. His name is Wes Needham. He joins us from Chicago. He's an actor, writer, producer, director, uh, Racket Magazine emissary to the Midwest, and sometimes sock model. Welcome, Wes. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm wearing my best socks, ready to go. <laughs> Great. I, we're going to have to take your word for that, but I trust that they're excellent. Um, so we aren't so much of like a topical tennis podcast you know there's so many other good ones that like really get into the day-to-day tea of the tour but i feel like holy moly there's so much going on <laughs> like you can't not talk about maria's back yeah nadal went 10 last week in monte carlo another 10 titles this week in barcelona jumped into the pool with all the ball kids afterwards which is pretty cute <laughs> you know lucas pui took a title god that guy's handsome uh, maybe more than that. <laughs> other Frenchman you cannot. Uh, people should know that even when Caitlin and I text, it's all about Lucas Puy. You really cannot get enough these days. I know it's weird. As a confirmed lesbian, uh, I feel very, very <laughs> drawn to these Frenchmen. I can't help it. I don't know what it is. Maybe as it's a, a, as a confirmed like, heterosexual, the man is handsome. There's just no other way to say it. <laughs> it's the cheekbones, and he's got that, you know, that like very proportional outfit on. I don't know what to tell you. It's really, and his tennis is great, and he's fun and he um you know just to jump into something kind of random which most people i assume don't know lucas pui good luck googling it there's a lot of l's and you know vowels in there but um he's he's not only handsome but he's really um he's he, he gets the sportsmanship award this week for me for uh tweeting like great job to his opponent hope to see you back and his opponent said and it was just like a more personal than usual sort of like exchange of camaraderie which i feel like is so great as somebody who won a lot of um sportsmanship awards and not a lot of tournaments as a kid i feel like <laughs> i just like always love calling out like good sportsmanship because that's like super important to me yeah where like what what did you do to win these awards nobody calls a line judge on you you shake hands wow. you're like pretty cordial i mean i don't want to flatter myself but remember when we were talking about maria sharapova and how she's not a locker room favorite oh yeah uh. <laughs> right that's code for we all hate her but yeah i dare say i was a bit of a locker room favorite wow huh. oh, that's fun fact about me media like the- tennis talent locker room favorite so you never hooked anyone come on okay Caitlin. i'll tell you a story one time i hooked a girl and for the um newbies listening uh to the tennis world hooking is when you intentionally cheat i mean everyone cheating is intentional but like sometimes <laughs> there's gray areas it's when you call a ball out when it's in or yeah and it's out, egregious. Out, out when it's in. And it's egregious, right? It's like almost like like the way Trump lies. And it's like yeah. A, it's like it's like an assertion of power. It's like I can lie and I can get away with it. It's like I dare. It's so bad that you're daring the other person to get angry. I, I'd say I have zero hooks in my lifetime, but I also think my brain is crazy enough on a court that I will justify any bad call to relate to the fact that I wasn't and I was in the right completely. I wow. think that's where I stand on hooking. Yeah, I mean, look, were were this a perfect world, we would exist. Well, we would all be kinder humans living barefoot in utopia. So yes. let's set that aside. But like, if this were a perfect world, given our shitty world, you know, Hawkeye would be existent on every you know recreational and collegiate tennis court for sure. Then I wouldn't have had to take a point from the pit as in Pittsburgh University player who had egregiously hooked me two points earlier, and I caught her serve when it 
uh, landed in the middle of the box with my hand and just mm, wow. stared her down. And I was like, you want to do this? Hook for a hook. Hook for yeah. a hook. Because there was, it was an wow. out-of-conference match, so there was no um, lines people required. Thunderdome. Thunderdome. Did you, did you crush the ball like a beer can? Just yeah. Like, all the air right out of it. Crystallized powder. <laughs> and then I stared I, her down and I said, two tennis players enter, one tennis player leaves." <laughs> I once saw I once saw a guy hit a forehand like wildly long, like didn't get on top of it. It was gonna hit the back fence in the air. Opponent caught it just to save time. The guy called. Oh no! The guy said, "That's my point." It's true. The ball. You can't do that. It, it's true, but it's unco- that is unconscionable. It's those unconscionable. little it's those little rules like well, if somebody serves and it bounces first and, and and you have the nerve to catch their serve and say fault, catching it is really bad and in poor taste. You're not allowed to prove that you can catch it. Yeah, agreed. I mean, there's all these little things that tra- follow you af- after, you know, whatever level of success you enjoyed uh, earlier in your life, at least if you're me, onto the more recreational arena. And now I'm still like confronted, especially at, I don't know if you guys, West here in Chicago, but playing mm-hmm. in Central Park actually is like the Thunderdome of New York City. You'd think it would be this genteel sort of like laid back, uh, you know, it's clay courts in the middle of this, you know, beautiful bucolic setting. And the people who play at Central Park suck. They're so mean. They're mostly old dudes and they will cut you. And they're there at five. <laughs> I've, I've play, I used to play that, that uh, annually in Central Park. I used to go to the Open every single year and then make one day I'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning and head to the park. Because if you don't get there you by 5.45 a.m., you're not getting on that day. Oh, yeah. Those retirees get there at like 6 with their yeah. like coffee thermos full of coffees. And like, they're, you know, they just camp tents, out. Tents yeah. popped out, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But they, <laughs> those guys will cheat. And they will, they will be real fussy. A ball from your court rolls into theirs. And they're not having it. You're like, hey, man. Wow. Anyway, uh, so that, I think, is uh, is the backstory about Sportsmanship Awards. And you know what? The very attractive Lucas Puy gets one from me this uh, yes, this week. I definitely, so, yeah. should we get into it? Let's do guys, it. Biggest story for you guys this week was what? Wes, your thoughts? Oh, sure. You know what? I got to say, against all odds, Maria Sharapova, who I had mixed feelings with coming back on the scene... Kind of said, take your cheating scandal and shove it. Did she not totally. by making the semifinals? I think that's a huge statement on her part. Loved it. It is. It, yeah. It is. It's amazing. Like, I texted Caitlin to say that uh, I thought she got the one of the worst possible first round opponents in uh, mm-hmm. Vinci, right? Like, like she's like experienced. She's played in big matches. I just thought she'd give zero fucks about the occasion. And the fact that she battled back and kind of gutted out that first round match. Pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Also, should like yeah. I kind of always knew she was like made of steel, but like that's impressive to win that match after not playing and knowing that at best people are lukewarm about you in the stands. I don't know. Yeah, 100%. nobody, nobody on the court or off the court likes her, and she didn't drop a set until the semis, and even then she won the first set and took it yeah. to three when she went out. Like that's a statement. It is. It's impressive, and I've. I mean. Maria's impressive, but I feel like also the um, that fury was so missed. I missed it so much that Russian just steely fury that she plays with that clenched fist, you know, that not Ivan only Drago when she's celebrating feel. the Ivan Drago feel, even when she's just walking, pacing the yeah. baseline with her two fists clenched at her sides. Like yep. you just feel like, and I remembered why I root for her. And to be clear, like, you know, we've had, we've kind of argued both sides of this, I think, wouldn't you say, Chris, over the past, like, year or so? Yeah, I would say. 
Yeah. And I feel like, you know, this sentence was way harsh, A. And B, like, I'm already kind of ambivalent about, like, supplements anyway. But, like, look, she served her time. She came back and she could have totally wilted. And instead, like, that fury, I forgot how much I missed it. And I forgot how good it feels to want for somebody what they so clearly so much want for themselves. Yeah. And uh, that's how I felt watching her play this week. And it was just like, and her tennis got better, actually. Her serve's a lot better. She fixed, like, a janky uh, part of her motion. The ball toss isn't so high. So maybe, like, she'll save herself another rotator cuff surgery. Like, it was cool. Like, she looked great out there. And it was great. And she could have totally wilted. But you know how, um, like Yvonne Drago, the second she stepped on the court, even to, like, sort of lukewarm applause at the beginning, all the players were there. The best thing ever was seeing all, like, they panned the first matches audience and it was every that's, one of the other women. In the I tournament. Know. That's always awesome. That is super interesting. Which is awesome. Like there's yeah. like Svetlana Kuznetsova with like her arms crossed and a hoodie, like watching from the wings. Like there's Kiki Mladenovic who would end up being her semifinal opponent, like on the other side of the court, like they're all staring her down, just like kind of waiting to see what like, the spectacle. Yep. And it's so cool. Like tennis needs spectacles and, and Maria is one and, you know, hats off to her. Cause she did, she played great and she made a really, really impressive it. And then at the end, of course, everyone's like on their feet, you know, like, Oh yeah. <laughs> right. If you, that's uh, how you get over a scandal is you win. That's all there is in any sport, no matter what you win through the scandal. That's it. Yeah. And and then how necessary is she right now at this moment with Serena being out for so long, like the, the game kind of needed somebody else to draw some attention and boy, she has never uh, shied away from being a lightning rod. No, she leaned into it. If anything, she was like yeah. having yeah. a good old time in the press room, joking around with the reporters. Like whenever anybody hinted at something, like even remotely uh, confrontational, she would just shoot down the question as inappropriate. Yeah. Which is actually like not at all. It is totally appropriate. Yeah. It's all appropriate. No, yeah. but like, she knows what she's doing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a journalist, I feel like there are times when journalists ask inappropriate questions, like, "How do you feel that your dad?" is like cheating on your taxes Steffi Graf mm-hmm. or like what <laughs> yeah. about when your mom ran off with a coach or, or when somebody said story. to Nadal how did it feel to win today and he had clearly lost not 10 right. minutes before like that is yeah. like definitionally inappropriate <laughs> but like what's it like coming back after your drug ban yep you know yeah. not a great question but an appropriate one not only appropriate yeah. but a question where like if you don't don't ask it your editor might be like hey kind of kind of avoided the the suspension thing <laughs> you probably should have <laughs> asked that question um, yeah yeah it's uh it's crazy and it is weird how caitlin you're right like her game looked a little cleaner just like fetters did after he was off for a long time maybe this is the thing maybe older players like you get to 30 and you should just take like nine months off and just clean just Agassi clean did shit it. up yeah did it Agassi Agassi ever w- oh my god he went away got really he had when he came back she'll be fine Yes, that's she'll be in great shape. And I also feel like this kind of brings me back to one of my hobby horse topics, which is like that tennis season is way too long. Like for people who don't realize that like tennis season isn't just, you know, summer in Europe and then in America, it's Australia starting in January and then like Asia ending in November. It's just like Mm. bananas long. You know, these guys get a month and a half off maybe and they're injured and they have life events and Federer obviously went away for injury. Victoria Azarenka, pregnancy, Maria, the ban. And now like, you know, Serena, the same thing, pregnancy. And like, that's awesome. And maybe it's like more a chance to reevaluate your game, but also just kind of like come back loving it again. I think that's so interesting what you just said because, like you said, Azarenka going away for for pregnancy for a while. This is the only sport where it is a – if you have any kind of life-changing event that you have to take on, 
it's almost uh, unmentionable on the tour because you can't take away just that little bit of time it would take to do whatever that life event is. That does seem to break a rule, though, that professional tennis players are not allowed to be human beings. They rarely are. In, in the last 20 to 30 years, like, I mean, just look at the personality that we got. And that's why we get all excited about Curios, is because finally we have somebody who seems a little bit more pissed off, but also maybe kind of just a dickhead. I think based on my last couple of episodes, I feel like I'm not, I'm in the, he's more just young than a dickhead, but you I know. hope so. Yeah. I want him to be, cause I think we need, I think we need him on the, in the, on the, uh, on the tour hundred percent. Oh man, he's so fun to watch. And like I said, you know, like Chris made the point a couple episodes ago, like anybody, he could beat anybody on any day, like, mm-hmm. and not right. just beat them, like beat them like con- convincingly. Yeah. Right. He looks, he looks uh, super, super hard to break right now in a way that um and it's like a little bit of a throwback you know what i mean which is just like like holding in boring ways just like bombing away mm-hmm. no 100 yeah. percent. still zero titles in 2017 though that's the thing we still need he's got to sneak one of these he's had well he he just has to sneak one before before the next uh i don't know because next thing you know the u.s opens there the pressure's on and there's nick Kyrgios just not fulfilling whatever it is he's supposed to fulfill yeah, I think that's yeah. true. And I think, you know, that Zverev team thing is going to sort of continue to percolate. Those two have mm. like a lot, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, there's a contrast in styles. They have like sort of that nice guy airs to the Nadal Federer kind of mm. vibe to them. And I feel like Kyrgios is sort of an outlier in that. He might be like the Vavrinka, like where he's like the spoiler or something um, yeah. in, a, in a really weird way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, okay, we've talked about Maria. We talked about Nadal. Uh, do we need to talk at all about uh, who won today, Laura Siegmund? Yeah, let's get into it. Sure. Okay, this yeah, is a very, very sure. minor point I'm going to make because I'm really pumped for her because I love the way she plays tennis. She's like the slice and dicer from Germany. I think she heard her hometown is Stuttgart. And um, she had a really good run at uh, Charleston a couple of weeks ago. She's like a clay court sort of specialist, and she's peaking right now. And she just took the title, beating a whole bunch of people on the way, including Kiki Mladenovic, who, yep. um, who Maria lost to in the semis. Um, one thing that's interesting about Siegmund is apparently all, not a locker room favorite because of sportsmanship issues. What? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, go on, Caitlin. So, yeah. gotta love her. She hits the most drop shots of anybody on the whole tour. It's amazing to watch. I absolutely love it. She also, like, plays the court in sort of, like, a Hingis-esque way. Her game is very Hingis-esque, yeah. which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, like... Right, right. You like stylish without being a pusher. You you, you like, like, aggressively graceful. Yes. That's your thing. Thank you. I do. Yeah. That's exactly right. my thing. Yeah. yeah, I like when they are constructing points. I like to wa- feel like I'm watching, like, someone with intention who's, like, you know, playing a little bit of chess out there. That's what I, I like to watch. <laughs> stylish chess. Paint me a picture. Exactly. Tennis player. Paint me a yeah. pe- picture, All Francesca right, Schiavone. Um, okay, so, <laughs> but apparently, like, medical timeouts, takes breaks right before people are serving. Yeah. Like, lots of, like, chatter back to force of the box. Like, apparently, lots of coaching, which, you know, again, coaching is not illegal, but it is sort of... Uh, tennis your coach is supposed to be on the in the court when you call for it at certain times not just like a running dialogue back and forth between the stands anyway um and i just kind of wanted to bring up this whole concept of like sportsmanship just because we've been talking about it a little bit um knowing this about a player nadal has been accused of this sort of stuff with his like overly persnickety you know routine and time violations like Mm -hmm. how important is this stuff to you guys at all to me, it's so interesting and insightful, and I make such intense judgments about the people's personalities just because of my own experience. But maybe I'm just, you know, maybe you're just like bending the rules. That's like part of it. 
There was a guy. I grew up on the East Coast, right uh, in Delaware, right outside of Philadelphia. And in every tournament, I always had to play this guy named David, and I can't remember what his last name is. But probably for the best, in case he's a listener, but because I hated this guy. And <laughs> I hope all. Oh, me too. Me too. And I hope wherever he is, he's sad because he ruined two years of my career coming up through after high school because he would do all these. He would do whatever it took. He didn't have an exceptional game of any means. He wasn't going to power you off the court. A lot of drop shots and a lot of just pushing it back and waiting for you to make the mistake. Uh, and to the point where if you were up, if you were up five, one, you were never safe. Cause then he would just go completely backboard and that was it. And just wait and wait and wait. And I couldn't stand this guy. And when I see players like this, they kind of remind me of that only at the obvious professional level. So I kind of am not a fan of the style, but I'd be remiss to say, I don't have some kind of respect for it though, too, because at the end of the day, somebody who's I mean, she's she's 29. She's been a pro for 11 years, and this is her first title. It took every ounce of whatever it is people hate her for just to get that. You know what I mean? And I kind of don't take that away. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Chris, any? Uh, now yeah. that we're all having a cathartic moment with her, her yeah. junior promotions, <laughs> exactly. which is basically what this podcast exactly. is going to do, which is I'm fine with that. <laughs> exactly. I I mean I uh, I don't I, I was not scarred by by anybody com- c- c- coming up. Through the ranks for that stuff, and I'm basically fine with it, except the bathroom timeouts. Like when it's transparently just to stop momentum, it just feels crazy. And then you leave the other player like alone there on the court, mm-hmm. just sitting there. It's very, very awkward. So, uh, so I'm out on that. But other gamesmanship, I don't know. I can't kind of enjoy it i'm sure i wouldn't if i was if i was being subjected to it myself i am um, one time speaking of rat bathroom breaks this is a deep cut there were these twins these two twins they're both really good and they played identical and they would wear identical outfits um <laughs> and the rumor was that one of them if they were losing a match and they presumably were not playing at the same time one of them would take a bathroom break and the other would come out <laughs> Jesus. Get out of here. I like that. Get out of here. That's, yeah, they now, deserve it. That's like it's if they did it and it worked, that's pretty genius. Um, but I can't remember. It's like one of those like like you know, really hazy memories because I think I was like eleven or twelve. It was like when I first started playing tournaments and like it was one of those things that like you heard a parent say and you were like, I'm pretty sure a parent shouldn't be talking this much shit. But like also <laughs> like you couldn't tell if but that like gave it extra credence. Yeah. You know? Give um, them but the I title. Never yeah. forget. Kind of. I mean, you know what I found out later? They were like both neurosurgeon. They were neurobiology, like resident surgeons in Boston and like had gone to Harvard and like medical. You know, so like they clearly had something else figured out. Like they didn't need to win this. Out of <laughs> Tagging out on surgery. Like, like hey, I'm not yeah. feeling it today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like right in the middle of a brain surgery. So I'm up. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> if I was playing Rafael Nadal on the tour, the first thing I would do on every crossover is knock over one of his Gatorade bottles. That's all you oh, need to do. Man. It'd drive him crazy. Talk about sportsmanship. Holy moly. I mean, look, if, wow. if, if he was pulling some stuff that he pulls on the other people, yeah, sure, I'd answer that. I saw once in a, in a live match, somebody hit a forehand off his serve and shanked it and knocked over one of his Gatorade bottles. And the Dude, look on Rafa's face. It was an accident. He just he's just looking there like, do I in front of all these people go fix that Gatorade bottle because I won't be able to finish the service game? And he really did. He went over and fixed it. No way. That's he perfect. had to, the crowd wow. laughed the whole time. It was the greatest. That's perfect. And he did it. He did it totally seriously. He was like, I must fix 
My uh, Racket Magazine partner, David, has a uh, – it's actually a really terrible joke, and David's like repeated it more than one time. So maybe by me telling it on the podcast, it'll get us out of his head. He wants to do a spoof of the Tennis Channel bag check <laughs> where somebody impersonates <laughs> Rafael Nadal, and it's just like, these are my rackets. This is my grips. <laughs> and that's it because you know there's like nothing else in there like you know that guy is so anal like there's literally nothing but like rackets and grips like the idea of like keeping some sort of like charm bracelet like he's Marie Kondoed every aspect of his life to no. of itself right he really has uh, yeah yeah he's an interesting guy can I actually uh, say something about rackets for a minute because I've been uh, every day I walk my kid to school past two really really beautiful courts that even at 8 a.m. are like packed with people and uh and so uh and i've noticed more than one person has the federer racket you know it's like all matte black mm. it's like pretty yeah, it's like a stealth bomber mm. it's it's like a stealth bomber and i looked it up and this that is like a heavy ass racket that's like over 12 18 by 20 strings like they, like i kind of feel like if you work at a tennis shop you should tell people not to buy yes it. Like the number of people who <laughs> who are actually like ready and equipped to swing like a 12 ounce 18 by 20 racket, uh, it's tiny. And I see these guys like like these like tiny, tiny guys who are like no chance are trying to hit a one hand backhand and it's horrible. Yes. So I just I would just like to call out Wilson hmm. for not putting a warning. On whoa, 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 because... whoa. This is totally aspirational. It's like when, you know, like you watch, uh, you know, I can't believe I'm about to make this reference. Like Sean White, like do backflips off of a half pipe. And you're like, I need the most expensive snowboard. And you're like, you're going to go skiing one time and you're going to be on your ass the entire time. I feel like um, wow. it's good for the sport. I've played with it. It is it's... so hard to play with. I like a small head <laughs> It's print. like a. I, right, it's like a club. I mean, no, you just don't. Uh, okay, look, like I'm someone who I held on to his college rackets a really long time, and you just enjoy tennis more with like an open string pattern, lighter but not too light racket. Mm -hmm. It's just a more fun game. You know. feel the ball hit the strings. You, you, you. It's created by you, not by the racket. I completely empathize. I use yeah. a vocal. Right. Does anybody use it? Yeah, actually, Laura Siegman, the woman who won Stuttgart today plays with this vocal oh Ooh, look nice what link. we yeah. did i use i you know yeah. you know why i use a vocal Cause because Bjor, boris becker played with one because boris becker placed one in my hand and said from now on you should use vocal what yeah i used to announce what occasion? I, I used to i i spent i think i might have told you uh, off the podcast before i spent a summer announcing maria sharapova and the delaware smash for world team tennis and what? uh and Boris, I spent a, I bet I spent a summer with Maria Sharapova three, four days a week announcing those matches. Whoa, 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 whoa! Wow. This is yeah. way better than the Boris Becker story. Although I'm excited. <laughs> what, what was she like? Why didn't you mention? I mean, I did not know this story. What was she? How, how was it? Is she all? You know, this was the year she won Wimbledon. Uh, she was 17, I think, 17 years oh, wow, old, yeah. and uh, and she was just kind of coming up in celebrity, and she was she was the new girl who sits on the sidelines during the match and listens to uh, her music while the match is going on, and like you know, like was just an up and comer, and then next thing I know, she's she's huge. But yeah, her and her uh, her dad Yuri, I spent a lot, a lot of time with them and got to know them, and you know what, she was great. Huh. Very Can nice. you? Wow! I have to send you the new cover story. Um, uh, I you haven't probably gotten your issue yet. It's in the mail. Um, but the Racket Magazine uh, issue number three obviously has a very big uh, 
Maria Sharapova story, kind of going back to like her origins and the Yuri stuff. And like, I would love to sort of go through that with you. I'll have to have I'm you back excited. on the show to do that. Oh, I man, spent a lot of time where Yuri was asking me to take her out and show her the sites. And I even, uh, we even, me and uh, Paul Goldstein, if you remember old Paul I Goldstein. I do, Paul Goldstein, we, yeah. Uh, a we, very uh, good American college player who played a little pro. Exactly. And I think once even beat Pete Sampras, which was yeah, his big right. claim to fame. And uh, we once, uh, him, me, he, myself, and uh, Scott Humphreys and Samantha Reeves uh, snuck Maria Sharapova into a bar after a match. Did you get her drunk? No, 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 we definitely didn't get her drunk or anything, but the best part was that at 17, she looked like a 26 year old person. So it wasn't that hard. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well that feels like a good as any note to leave this on. Amazing. Uh, Let's check in after you've read the story and you can give us more uh, chaste, but uh, slightly salacious Maria Sharapova gossip from the early two thousands. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, just just before you go, because Caitlin and I like uh, like old players of that era. Who else was on those teams? Uh, let's see. So the the uh, oof, you got so Boris. So McEnroe came through. Both McEnroes came through, and I got to. Uh, I've got a right now as I'm talking to you. I've got a signed, broken John McEnroe racket from a match I saw him play Agassi on through World Team Tennis, where he broke <laughs> his racket halfway through. And I'd met him a few times and finally worked up the strength to go up and say, hey, man, can I uh, can I get that broken racket? And he gave me the dirtiest, scariest look I've ever been given in my life and walked out of the locker room we were sharing. And I look up kind of, you know, wanting to die. And Andre Agassi shoots me a wink. And 10 seconds later, McEnroe comes back. He just left to get a pen to sign it for me. Whoa. Yeah. So I've got a bunch of st- I've got a few stories. Uh, Kornikova would come through. Uh, Bupati, Boris Becker, all these guys. I, I, Andy Roddick. I, I, I hung out with Andy Roddick a couple times, and uh, yeah, it was a fun summer. Wow, fun that sounds really awesome. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thanks so much, Wes. Oh, guys. Yeah, great, Wes. Man. Lovely to have you on the pod. Um, you're one of my favorite uh, people on Twitter. If anybody wants to uh, get a sampling of Wes's uh, daily shenanigans, it's Wes Needham. Yeah, at Wes Needham. Yeah. Check them out, you guys. This was a, this was so fun for me. I, I'm such a huge fan of the podcast. Such a big fan of you know all things that you guys do. So I appreciate you having me on today. We got to come out to Chicago and do an event. Let's do Hurry it. Hurry up. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it up. All right, Chris. For real, next week is Racket Magazine issue three. We're gonna actually do it, and then I'll stop talking about it. Deal. Deal done. All right. All right. Here's to the have tennis. Talk to you soon. Here's to the tennis. Bye-bye. Bye bye.